I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bantering the Blue Shirts. My name is Tom Merch Jr. And I am joined again, as always, by Michael Murphy. How's it going today, Mikey? I'm pretty good. And you're not just Tom Merch Jr. You are um, essentially, one, someone stole your tweet, um, whatever it was, a gods of hockey on Twitter. And then the NHL signal boosted your idea and gave you a little little stick tap a little hat tip yeah that was kind of nice and it's i i saw that as i was driving home from work and then i pulled it to my driveway and i'm saying to myself oh boy um because like yeah the whole thing of it was like as if those of you who follow me and if you don't follow me uh at tummer jr on twitter i like to sort of post things that happen throughout the course of the ranger game and they were playing the Vegas Golden Knights last night, uh, a team that they had played earlier in the week at Madison Square Garden. And they did a little overlay of Brendan Smith's goal versus Montreal, which was a beautiful snipe on a breakaway. And it just happened to be oh so similar to his brother, Riley Smith's breakaway goal versus the Rangers. So MSG had posted this nice little overlay. I'm like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I was actually surprised that no one else had tweeted it out. So went to the old computer and the stream was buffering like all hell. Uh, finally got it to work, slowed it down and all that fun stuff and went buku crazy. And then I found, you know, I was just you know, seeing if anyone else had actually tweeted it out. I was surprised that no one had did. And then I saw this like aggregator account did it. And I'm like, well, that's not very nice. You know, it's, yeah. it's easy to hit a retweet button and, you know, and then obviously NHL signal boosts it. And here we are. And now you're, now you're too big for your britches now, Tom. Well, that was already the case. It's holiday time, you know, eating a lot of hey. food. Hey, Taking shots at yourself. That's become the way like the uh, the trademark of this podcast. Both you and I are self-deprecating. Joe is the opposite of self-deprecating. He is uh, infallible according to his own logic. But I mean, I would say throughout my life, you gotta sort of own what you are. You know, I've always been on on the larger side. So it's if you can find the humor, or you can take ownership of that. Then anyone that ever tries to make fun of you, it's you know, it's like oh, okay, tell me something I don't know, or wow, uh, that would have been a good joke in uh, you know grammar school. You know, if you're gonna you know come at me, you know, at least make it a little bit interesting. I try to own up to what I am, but I'm still waiting for my hair to grow back. I went along luscious locks like that sweet sweet dj mika um a lot has happened tom it Uh, has and it's also it's funny because we won't be able to record on monday next week actually because i think the rangers have another monday game but maybe it feels like we've been recording on a lot of tuesdays so it's almost weird that we're talking on a monday which is the normal day for us to record the podcast um but yeah we had you know the rangers defeated uh the blue jackets tom three to two and then the Rangers lost to the Montreal Canadiens, 2-1, to one, a game that I was at and actually Joe was at. And I got to see 
the Brendan Smith goal that you were uh, referring to, which um, did crack me up because um, actually before we started the show, I was talking to you about what we should talk about. And it was a, it was a quote by Dave Maloney that I caught. Actually, let's just finish very quickly. Uh, the other game, of course, was a big five to nothing win. Uh, thanks to a 38 save shutout for Alexander Georgiev, um, a game in which Truba continued his scoring, uh, Zibanejad on the power play again, and surprise, surprise, Artemi Panarin. Uh, to, but to go back to what I was about to say, Tom, the quote I had, uh, I took the time to tweet because, you know, I was just watching the game on MSG Go on my laptop, uh, while I was doing some work, and... The quote really stuck with me, which is, in this game, and this was another topic we were going to talk about, it was Libor Hayek left that game with, is it a knee sprain, Tom? Yes, it was a yeah. knee sprain. He's going to be out, I think it's three to four weeks. Yeah, so it is a, you know, it's a relatively substantial injury, and it was one of those things where you and I were even joking, like, you know, we wanted something to happen to get Truba away from Hayek, and... Of course, neither of us was hoping for an injury, but here oh, we are. Oh, of course not. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shame. I, I don't like when, especially young players, get hurt. It was always extra frustrating. Uh, but here we are with that. But the thing that was so fascinating in that game to me, Tom, and the quote I've been, uh, you know, hinting at for the last five minutes was uh, Maloney talked to Lindy Ruff, who, you know, is a lot of fans always wonder who's actually running the defense. The general understanding is that it's kind of Lindy Ruff's final say. Like, he oversees it, um, and, you know, Brown helps out. But what what we had with Lindy Ruff is this quote that the Rangers are down to 5D. However, of course, Brendan Smith is a fourth-line winger right now. And Maloney asked him, will you move Brendan Smith to the defense? And his response, Tom, was, we don't want to put Brendan in that position against a team like Columbus that comes hard and heavy. And after I finished writing that out and tweeting it, I almost wanted, like, I wanted to flip my laptop over because he, this is a guy who's been an NHL defenseman for like half, like over half a decade. <laughs> like, but what you got to realize is he's okay. been playing forward for like the last month and that takes precedent over everything else. Yeah, like, but like, he, he's oh got a little itty bitty brain, I guess, and he can only handle forward things. Apparently, which, by the way, I had such a strong reaction to that, like, as and, you know, a lot of a lot of people reacted to me tweeting it out. And then, of course, in the very next game, wouldn't you know it, Brendan Smith scores on a beautiful break winkle playing forward. And it was just like, all right, the hockey gods. He knows what he's doing. I get it. Not really. But, But, you know, like Brendan Smith now has played 445 games in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And at least 400 of them have been at defense. Uh, I just really, really failed to understand that logic. But uh, the the other bit of the news here, really, circulating around the lineup, of course, is that, you know, it, it had been hinted at for like a week before it happened, Tom. But we have Mark Stahl back in the lineup. And what we also have back, at least organizationally speaking, is uh, Igor Rikoff, who was finally assigned to Hartford. That's right. And it was funny because on our uh, our mailbag episode on Off the Post, someone asked, like, has there been any update on Igor Rikoff? And it was like, you know, the very next morning where that news finally came out that he, you know, was 
you know, going to make his debut finally in Hartford and that, uh, you know, he was activated off the IR. And wouldn't you know it, Adam wrote a, a quick story on Rikov's first game. He picked up an assist in Hartford and uh, he did a little video analysis that you can check out on Blue Shirt Banner. And yeah, I mean, he looks great. And it's it's a crazy thing to think just because we've been hearing his name for so long. But he did spend the entirety of last season in the KHL. So that was actually his first game in the AHL, Tom. So, you know, it's it's a big deal for him to get healthy. I mean, it's crazy to think that he had that injury in training camp um, and the preseason, and, you know, he didn't get back on the ice for, you know, his first game of North American hockey that, you know, counted that wasn't a preseason game in early December. So thank goodness he's healthy, and it just kind of, isn't it, it's a weird thing I've noticed with hockey over the years. Like, a guy like Hayek gets hurt, Rikov and Stahl get healthy. It's like a weird, like, uh, you know, revolving door that seems to happen. Yeah, and it's, in on in that same respect, you're talking about Hartford. I feel like that's something that will be eventually true in terms of the, the goaltending, um, because... Obviously, Igor is going to get a chance at the NHL level at some point. And when that happens, it is, it's not a situation where Hartford is just turning over the team to some nobody. Um, they have Adam Huska, who has played pretty well this year in, in you know tandem with, with Igor. So, yeah, it's, it's funny how uh, hockey works that way, where you have one door close, another one opens um you know speaking of Hartford another thing that happened with uh you know caught in the shuffle I think it was McKegg was clear to play and then Boo was sent down and then the corresponding move with Boo going from the Rangers to Hartford was Ty Ronning going to Maine of the ECHL so and that um, is Ty Ronning, I think, for a little while, had a lot of fans uh, excited about what he might become. I, I think, you know, I was I think I was saying this last year. I just I don't see a path to the NHL for him at this point. And that's fine. That doesn't mean he can't be a valuable part of the organization. But it is not necessarily a great sign that he's being bumped down uh, to the ECHL uh, actually for the second time this season. This will be a second stint there. And he spent... It's kind of a 50-50 split between the AHL and ECHL last season. So, uh, you know, for a guy like Ty Ronning, who a lot of people do recognize as, you know, he has a lot of those tools, but he's just a very undersized skater. You want him to, you know, even if he's playing fourth line or third line minutes in Hartford, and I think that's part of the problem with some of these guys is they're not getting a ton of ice time. And, uh, you know, with Boo heading back to Hartford and, of course, Lee is there as well. Um, and we should mention that Leah Anderson recently had a pretty big game in Hartford Town, which is good news, uh, you know, for a guy like him. I think he had a two goal and one assist game, which is exactly what, you know, we we're kind of hoping to see from from Leas is to to start, you know, picking up some points there. But like to get back to what I was saying, uh, you know, with with Ty Ronning, it's it's unlikely now. Uh, and like uh, Vili Meskinen has, I think, done a good job of carving out a role for himself in that lineup. He's already up to 20 games played. Uh, he was a kind of a healthy scratch for the first couple games of the season. And uh, I remember when Kravstov was a healthy scratch in Hartford, it was Meskinen who came in for him, actually. Uh, but another thing that, you know, 
we I, don't, I forget if we touched on this or not, but I think it was Sean Day who was also sent down to the BCHL. Yes, um, he was to make room for Rikoff. Yeah, and you know, um, yeah, I, I didn't even connect that. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, yeah, the also not wonderful news for Sean Day. The thing that I, I think I saw someone on the banter say this in the comments section, and I had the same exact reaction, which which was. Why is Sean Day being demoted and Mason Geertsen isn't? Um, for those who don't know, Mason Geertsen uh, is, was a guy who was in training camp with the Rangers. I, I think you played one preseason game or something, but he's six foot four. Um, he's just a, a really big guy. He's been in the AHL for a couple of years now. Um, you know, he's he was born in '95, so he's not like a kid. And he has 33 penalty minutes in 25 games this season and four assists. So, you know, he's just a big physical guy who will fight and will take the body. Um, you know, Sean Day has a lot of skill, but it's uh, he's another guy who I think is a significantly bigger disappointment than Ty Ronning just because of at the time when the Rangers drafted him, there was a lot of buzz about him and the exceptional status and everything. But yeah, uh, another guy who it's kind of a shame that you know, we haven't seen more progress out of him. Then again, there's a lot to be excited for with Joey Keane and uh, another bit of news we can tie in, Tom, because we ended up talking prospects a lot now, is two of the Rangers' D prospects were just named to the, I think, what is it, the preliminary roster is 28 players, and then it goes down to 23, right? Yes, uh, Team USA sort of opened this preliminary. For the World Juniors, yeah. Yeah, it's a preliminary roster right now. They have a bunch of players that have been, um, you know, brought into camp. They're going to have, you know, an evaluation period. I know that two names that are up in the air because they need to get permission from the Islanders is Oliver Wallstrom and Bode Wild, um, you know, forward and a defenseman. So um, I would say from the Rangers perspective, I don't think either of those players would impact um, Miller getting knocked out. Um, Jones, maybe, because he's a bit of a lesser-known yeah, commodity, but he's having a good year. Um, he's having a, but, yeah, he's having a really strong start to his uh, college career at UMass Amherst. Like He was a guy, I think he was the 68th overall pick uh, of this past draft, so in the third round, and really he's had the sort of start the Rangers are hoping for. He's an undersized guy, I think he's 5'10". 5'11", um, but, you know, I think as I was, the reason I asked Tom for the clarification on, on the roster size is because Team USA expects to have the roster uh, down to the 23 men by uh, Christmas Eve, I believe. And so, you know, there's 23 roster spots, which means, you know, I forget how many D, is, D are on this current roster right now as things stand, but it's like 10. So it'll be tough sledding, I think, for Zach Jones to lock up a spot. But he's really had a really strong, you know, start to his NCAA career. And I'm looking at the roster right now, Tom, and there are a lot of lefties. Um, and only two of these D are right-handed. So, uh, and both both Jones and Miller are lefties. So that also might factor in uh, to this decision with the roster. Yeah, and I think in the case of Miller, um, who had played last year, I believe that he got sick um, or he's like the flu or something. And when he came back, 
they used I believe they used him on the the right side because that's it was, right they did it was a situation of where the team was you know so stacked on the back end that you kind of you didn't want to limit yourself you didn't want to have you know what like team usa has done in recent years in the olympics of oh we're gonna get the best lefties and the best righties instead of you know just the best overall d-men so it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that shakes out i also remember we looked at i forget who tracked it um which is killing me, but I know someone was tracking zone entrances and exits and Keandre's stats, even though he was under the weather and playing on his offside, were the best among Team USA's D at the last uh, World Junior Championships, which, you know, I think he just had the one assist in six games, but the fact that he had those level of puck skills was really, really great. And you know what else is great, Tom? What else is great, Michael? This word from our sponsor. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And just like that, we're back. That was, uh, I'm wondering what ad that was this time. And like delicious, nutritious, all those things. A lot of, a lot of stresses. What was the, uh, the website you created last week? It was, uh, like sharpknives.com or. Yeah. I don't know, Tom. I drink during every show. Just etch a sketch the brain. I don't know. That's not true, by the way. So. We were last talking about... I did eat three hamburgers today because I... What was it? I didn't eat lunch and it was 4.30 and I was starving and I was like... I know that there is a... You know, there's a there's a brunch, right? But there's, there's no, like, liner. There's no lunch-dinner combo. But, like, I, I know I don't want to eat, like, a giant meal right before the podcast. So I ate, like, a little bit... And I was like, this is not enough. And I said, well, there's three of these hamburger patties left. I, I like to eat two at a time. I'm not, I'm not going to leave, you know, I'm not going to leave one in the box. I'm not an animal. It's so like now, the equivalent of going to uh, five guys and getting a, you know, a regular burger and then like a junior burger. Yeah, but I, well, to be fair, these burgers are very small, but I still felt like an animal. Um, and after I ate two, I was like, this was a mistake. And then I waited a couple minutes and I ate the third. Listen, I won't judge you. I'm the last person to give uh, advice or a critique about eating patterns. You know, I'm like all over the place. There are times where, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not eating breakfast. And then it's like, oh, it's lunchtime. I'm really hungry. Or there are times like, oh, I'm going to have a small breakfast. I don't stop for lunch. And then, you know, I'm, you know, picking out at like 10 o'clock at night or, you know, yeah. I do that too. I try not to, but I'm one of those people I'll I will forget to eat during the day and then I'll it'll be late at night and I'm like, I really haven't eaten today. I'm hungry. And it'll keep me up and then I'll end up eating at like ten thirty at night. I'm like, Oh, this isn't a good idea. It's good for the metabolism, folks. Anyway, um back to some Ranger stuff, Tom. We talked about Hayek getting hurt, Stahl's returning, 
Uh, I mean, we could get into the fact that Georgiev had a giant 38-save shutout, and the Rangers smoked Vegas 5 to nothing in terms of the final score. Yeah, and it's like I never got the chance to pull the numbers. Um, after You had mentioned earlier that the Rangers had a big win in Columbus, and Gorgiev was a big reason behind that. And mm-hmm. at the time, I I'd looked at the numbers and I'd said, this was the absolute worst game that the Rangers have played in front of Gorgiev in terms of it was uh, awful. <laughs> in terms of expected goals, shot share, puck possession. Well, guess what? They did that and more against Vegas. Even worse expected goals, um, even worse shot share and puck possession. Um, it it, it yeah. like. That's the fun part of the, like, people might accuse you immediately of, did you watch the game? Because, yeah, we know the Rangers won five to nothing. We know. Like, we're we're very aware that that game went as well as it did. It doesn't change the fact that the Rangers really, really got roasted in terms of, like, what the expected outcome of the game was. I think the expected goals for percentage was, like, 25 or something like the this game was supposed to really go the other way and it is amazing that Georgiev was as good as he was the Rangers PDO in this game Tom 111 I'm sorry 117.6 so. 100% sustainable nothing to worry about <laughs> I mean in the, the sake of efficiency it's like I tweeted this this morning and it's it's very simple and it's not to get over the top or tell people how they should feel. Yeah. They won five nothing. They play that game again. They likely lose. They play it again. They likely lose. It's a situation of yeah. when you have those metrics, you're not going to win those games yet. The problem is, is when you critique the team, it's like, oh, what, what are you getting all out of sorts for? They won the game. Yeah, they won the game, yeah. But the problem is you don't want those bad habits to set in because it's very easy to look at that and say, oh, we won five nothing. What do we have to learn from this? Well, especially uh, in this case where, you know, uh, the reason we recorded last Tuesday was because the Rangers played Vegas on uh, last Monday and they lost four to one in that game. And they all they the underlying numbers there were uh, not great, but they certainly weren't this bad. And that's. That's the thing about hockey. A lot of people will be like, oh, just throw out what the underlying numbers say. When you have a result like this, how important could they possibly be? But in a game like this, it's important to note, Rangers had two power play goals. So, you know, the, when we talk about these numbers, they, are, they focus on five-on-five play. The reason being that's the most important aspect of the game, because that's the part of the game that happens the most often. Most hockey is played at even strength or five-on-five. And so you want to be better than the opposition at five on five. And also it would be really nice if you had a good penalty kill and your power play delivered uh, at, a, a, at above the league average and power play percentage. The thing with this game, Tom, is the Rangers just got lucky. I mean, and lucky doesn't dismiss some of the great plays that were made. And it certainly doesn't dismiss Georgiev, who had a fantastic game. Um, it's one of those things where this Georgiev, Shesterkin, um, you know, debate is, it's only gotten more and more interesting throughout the season. 
because it feels like with each week, like your give had a, a brief rough stretch for a little while, and now he's won, I think it's four out of his last five starts, and his save percentage is right now up to 926 with these two shutouts. He had two shutouts in all of all of last season in his 30 starts, Tom. He's got two shutouts in 13 starts this year and a 926 save and I'm behind sh- this defense. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he has four shutouts since Hanks had his last shutout. Really? Hank hasn't had one that long? Yeah, I I believe it's going on. I'm trying to think when his last shutout was because Damn, I know. that's a great little nugget of trivia there. Yeah, Hank has been getting close um, with... Uh, with shutouts, and then he just seems to lose. Damn, you know him. what? You're right. He didn't have a single shutout last year. Yeah. So it's, and again, it's the thing. The way what I would want to stress is that obviously this team is it's still somewhat early in the build, but you look at it as you don't go out and get Artemi Panarin, you don't go out and get Jacob Truba and want to be playing the same type of games you were last year. If you look at their last stretch of games, um, the last quote unquote good game that they had, and I'm determining that as a good game in which they, the they won share. Yeah. and they won the expected goal share was the three, two loss to the Bruins. And then the next game in which they had a positive expected goal share was the 6-5 game versus the Canadians. And then before that was, which was their best game in recent memory, which was the 4-1 win versus the Capitals. Yeah, that was, of all the games we've seen this season, that was the game where I watched this team and I said, I, I don't know what this team is. If they're capable of playing like this against a team like Washington... Washington, by the way, because oh, you and I like to talk about some stories going on in the league. Washington is 8-1-1 one, one in their last 10, Tom. They have a plus 27 goal differential at all strengths. And they are 22-4-5 as of our recording. And I believe they're on pace to have a better points percentage than the Lightning had last year. Yeah, and yet Tampa Bay is 14-10-3, and, and I still... Tom, I just I, I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I think Tampa Tampa's a team that I feel that they're going to be aggressive um, towards the trade deadline. I think they're a team that they have a number of pieces that they're making a little bit too much money, whether it's your Tyler Johnson, your Andre Palats, um, that they might say, we're going to shake things up because we – have a shelf life with with this group and how our, our structure is, mm-hmm. um, but they have a lot of reasons to be aggressive. Really, like it's, I feel like they're a team that has this opportunity. Like when you look at their roster, you feel like where do they need improvement? Just on paper, it seems like it's a pretty good group, and like they had a lot of things change, and you know they they got Shattenkirk, and he's been you know, solid there so far. And, you know, Braden Point had, uh, you know, didn't start the season because uh, of an injury. And then, you know, he had as well the, the contract situation. But now you have this, like, he had a slow start once he got back in the lineup, but now he's doing kind of fine. And you look at their, like, their record, and you're like, what the hell's happening there? And then, you know, I just, 
I can't help but do this every week, Tom. I look at the Islanders in the standings and I say, how the hell is it happening? I don't understand it. Yeah, it's there's there's two things that it's good that you bring that up because it gives me a sort of just a and Philly too. I mean, Philly just lost Konecki for for like a month, but Philly is third in the Metropolitan right now, Tom. Yeah, it feels like the Metropolitan Division. There's a lot of teams that are just sort of hovering around the same territory, um, and you know, just sort of wrap up with what I want to say. You know, on the subject of how the Rangers have been playing, you bring up the Islanders. Yes, please do. And the Islanders have played well. They've they've gotten you know exceptional goaltending for a second year in a row. Um, you know, it's. I'm wondering if it's this. Everyone has always talked for years. It's this concept of how the Rangers talk about, or Rangers fans talk about, the magic of Benoit Lair. But you know, another goalie guru has been Mitch Korn. Uh, he's had a lot of goalies that he's worked with over his career. Yeah. Um, All you need to do is look at Sergei Varlamov's save percentage this year to appreciate just how good Mitch Korn is at his job. It's Varlamov for years struggled you know, to, to be the starter in Colorado and then just let Mitch Korn work with them. Everything will be fine. Apparently it's unbelievable. Yeah. And to get back to the Rangers, if we accept that this is how the team is going to play um, because the defense is still a work in progress. It's still tactically and fundamentally how they go about their business. It is what it's going to be. I think that the Rangers then need to take a long look and say, if we are going to rely on our goaltenders and we are going to have a defensive structure that gives up a lot of shots, it's ever so more important. And and Shana brought up a good point in terms of how they really should be stacking their forward lines where you should have Zibanejad as the number one center, Heedle as the number two center, and then you figure out where you want to put Panarin, yeah. where you want to put Buchnevich, where you want to put Kako. If you have two really good scoring lines that you can score four or five goals a game, it's not going to matter as much right now while they're still figuring their shit out on defense. Um, I don't think that the Rangers are going to drastically improve while you have Lindy Ruff around because we've seen this for years now and it feels to me that they're using this as oh we're going to evaluate the kids and oh we'll wait till keandre comes along and and all that stuff um so if this is how the team is going to play i think they need to commit to something with the forwards let them run wild and just go from there but it's hog wild yeah and we'll get to this in the mailbag um you know it's one of the questions revolving around David Quinn, it, it, at least for me, it just seems, you know, he doesn't know what he wants, at least in, in terms of forwards. That's fair. Um, someone who I think does know what he wants, Tom, is Jacob Truba. Uh, and when I say what I mean when I say that is uh, he seems to want to kind of flourish playing a little bit away from uh, Libor Hayek. Before the show, I was looking at... Uh, we're looking at what to talk about, and I wanted to talk about Truba specifically because, uh, you know, he had a goal in the win over Columbus, and he had another goal, a power play goal, actually, against the Golden Knights. Um, both of those goals actually were on the power play, uh, which is great to see him uh, score on the power play because 
the last time he did that, Tom, was uh, in Oct- October 18th, so it was a long time. Uh, but I think you were telling me he has 10 points in his last 10 games. That uh, is correct. Four, and, six, and 10. Yeah, so four goals in that span, and then I checked a little deeper. Because Truba had a really strong start, and then he had a span of one point and assist, mind you, in 13 games. Yeah, that was a rough stretch, and I, I know that really was at a time rough. where Fox was playing very well, so people were like, you know, why did we sign Jacob Truba? Yeah, and I get it. Like, I do get it. And especially for a guy who had 50 points last season, you don't want to see a defenseman who has 50 points in a stick go on a stretch where he has one point in 13 games. Um, in the last three games, uh, Truba's most frequent defensive partner at even strength has been Brady Shea. Uh, because, of course, uh, we now have Hayek out and Stalin. And so the pairings, for the most part, have been Truba Shea, Fox Lindgren, Stahl D'Angelo. So the other, actually, the other wrinkle to all of this with uh, Lieber Hayek going down with injuries that, you know, we were kind of talking about who, would it be Hayek or Lindgren that got sent down? You know, you were making the point that Lindgren really didn't do anything to deserve uh, getting sent down, which was fair. But now that problem kind of solved itself with Hayek out of the lineup. So I guess it's a question we'll get an answer to, you know, in three to four weeks from now. But to have Truba start scoring again, I think, is great for a lot of reasons. Uh, it, it helps. I'm hoping it helps take a little bit of pressure off of him. I mean, he now has five goals in 29 games. He had eight goals all of last season. Uh, the most goals he's ever had in a single season was 10 as a rookie in 65 games, actually. But it's a great, I think it's a great start for, for Truba. He's still shooting well above uh, the pace that he shot last year which is interesting because that was actually his highest shot volume season. He had 162 shots. Um, the other thing about Truba is that, you know, he's still blocking shots like crazy. He's still taking the body like crazy. He's been even more physical uh, with the Rangers than he's been uh, with Winnipeg. So you do really get the sense that he's trying to do a lot, right? Like that's the impression that I get. I do think that he was held back with Lieber Hayek as his partner and he looks I'm, more comfortable. Yeah, he, he definitely looks a lot more comfortable with Brady Shea and even now he scored that goal on the power play where he was he wasn't at the point just, you know, ripping a bomb. He yeah. was down low and he was able to kick the puck from his skate to his stick and put it in. Where obviously you're probably not gonna see yeah. something like that happen five on five, but you probably wouldn't have seen that five on five with Lieber Hayek because if he botches the puck, then leaving Hayek back there, it's you know, yeah. they're in a bad way. Yeah, that's like, you know, letting a baby chick wander into like a, a snake enclosure. And just a bad, it's going to be a bad day for the little baby chick. Um, but it, it is interesting to me that Truba has really gone from being just absolutely ice cold to the point where it always fascinates me what kind of storylines, you know, we see pop up during MSG Networks and the analysis by... Uh, the beats and stuff, like, no one really tackled too much. The fact that, you know, Truba went absolutely ice cold. You know, a couple people touched on it here and there, but there wasn't wasn't exactly much, hum, you know, about it, considering the fact that he's getting paid what he's getting paid. I thought it was a pretty big deal. But I also knew what was going on in terms of how 
detrimental it was to him to be paired with Libor Hayek. So that is something I wanted to keep an eye on. And, and honestly, Tom, we could talk about this every single week. But the Artemi Panarin show continues to be my favorite show. <laughs> uh, he did have a two-point game against Vegas. You know, he's leading the Rangers in goals and assists. 29 games, 36 points, Tom. Yeah, he's keeping well above an 100-point pace for the year, uh, which would be incredible. I believe the last Ranger to surpass 100 points was Yager in 05-06 when he had 123 points. Um, And then on the final day of the season, he loses out on the... uh, I think it was he lost out on the Rocket Richard and the Art Ross because oh Thornton and uh, Chichu both had good games. Son of a bitch. Um, I think he should have won the Hart Trophy that year based on what he did for the Rangers. But I guess what a Thornton did in both conferences, having a great start in Boston, getting traded midseason, and then just you know wrecking everything in San Jose. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, but yeah, I feel you. And a little trivia thing that I I didn't it's been brought up before. It's we all know that Yager left um or he he left the Rangers for the KHL. Had he won the Hart Trophy, there was a provision in, in his contract that would have added on a year to his deal. So maybe Yager stays around longer if he actually wins the Hart Trophy. Yeah, man. Why why do you have to do that to me, Tom? We're having such a nice show. I mean, this is ancient history, and, you know, it's it's in hindsight. Some wounds don't heal, you son of a bitch. They hurt. They hurt for tr- years. I mean, what else? Uh, there's not much, much, too much else to say. I mean, uh, the thing that I think is, like, Brendan Lemieux, uh, we should mention that. He got hit with a 2K fine um, when he, he, it was... I would definitely say this. It was a dangerous play he made. Uh, he followed through. Careless. Like, yeah, careless, reckless. And he threw, like, his, you know, he led with his left shoulder to hit. And then, like, he turned in the hit and his right elbow. Uh, who was it? Was it Tuck? It was uh, Cody Glass. That's right. It was Cody Glass. It was Glass. like a windmill. Yeah, yeah. His arms were flailing around. It was one of those just, like, super reckless Careless, he did go over to and apologize to Cody Glass, but he stayed down for a long time, and obviously there was concern with him. Um, but it is, you know, I always make a note of these things when they happen, Tom, because especially for a guy like Lemieux, who it is so essential to him and his game, if we're just speaking strictly from the organizational standpoint. Like, the fact that Brendan Lemieux has been chipping in offense lately is a really big deal. Uh, you know, he's proving that he can be the player that the Rangers were kind of hoping he would be when, uh, you know, they saw that he had nine goals in 44 games with Winnipeg, uh, you know, before he became a part of that deal, Uh, you know, that sent Kevin Hayes to the Jets. And, you know, we all know how everything evolved there. Uh, Ended up, you know, getting the rights to Jacob Truba and trading the first round pick back to Winnipeg, yada, yada. But he's 10th in team scoring. Yeah, he has five goals and seven assists, and, you know, he was at one game. Uh, He's picked up 59 penalty minutes, but the thing I always take note of here, Tom, is penalty differential is such a big deal for a guy who has a game like Lemieux, and whenever you get tagged with, like, a a suspension or a fine like this, especially this one, which I think it was the max from what I understand, like, 
I always take note of this because you build a reputation as a player. And especially as a young guy, I think Brendan the Mew has already developed a pretty big reputation in this league. Well, and I think it kind of preceded him being the son of Claude Lemieux, is who's the ultimate pest. That's absolutely fair, and I totally agree with it. I just do think it is something to keep an eye on because when you be when you play the style of game that he plays, you do run the risk of hurting your team more than you help them in the agitator shitster role. And it is you know there's a bunch of different ways. Drawing penalties is a, is a real skill. Uh, I you know it's something I've been looking into more in, in you know how I analyze the game and appreciating that really there's more than one way to draw a penalty because generally speaking you think of oh how do you draw a penalty when you have the puck and you force the other team to make a mistake by drawing a penalty but you can also draw penalties by being an annoying piece of crap on the ice uh, that your teammates love and your the opposition hates and that's kind of what Brennan Lemieux excels at so it's something I've been keeping a really close eye on with him and also to some extent with uh, Tony D'Angelo because he's another guy who can take, you know, kind of undisciplined penalties and frankly has a reputation. Uh, but, you know, right now it's it's it speaks volumes that Brendan Lemieux has 19 penalties drawn at all strengths and the Rangers' next highest player in penalties drawn at all strengths is Mika Zibanejad. Of course, Lemieux also has... 14 penalties total uh, and tied for second on the team is Brady Shea with 11 and Ryan Strom with 11. Um, and, you know, that is, you want, you want the penalties drawn to be above the total penalties taken. That's the, the dumbest way to say it, but that's, that's what it has to be. And you want Brendan Lemieux to not make those mistakes because they can not only cost him $2,000, but down the road, they can kind of impact how referees see him. Yeah, and I think that's an important part because I feel that the Rangers have been looking for a player like Lemieux for some time. We can go through the litany of lists, uh, whether it was them trading for Ryan Klo going way back, uh, giving Ryan Malone a tryout um, a few years back. If you have a guy like Lemieux who has five goals, seven assists, 12 points, He's two points and two goals back of what Kreider has done this year, um, which yeah. is something I wouldn't have been expecting to say at this point. I don't think anyone point. would have expected that one. Um, if he can chip in and he can, you know, try and keep his nose clean. I mean, obviously he's going to, you know, get in the middle of things. He's going to, you know, try and um, be be a, a bit of a shit stir. But like you said, it's it's all about being a positive and it's not doing uh, or drawing. You want to draw penalties, but you don't want to put your team in a disadvantage because you can a guy like Lemieux can only, you know, cry wolf so many times. And then the refs are going to be like, yeah, I'm I'm not buying it. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting to me because, you know, remember that story about Larry Brooks where he talked about maybe the Rangers might want to trade uh, Buchnevich for for Josh Anderson or a trade like that. Um, and of course, we got a good look at Josh Anderson um, in, in the game against Columbus. Um, but we've also had a good look at how valuable Pavel Buchnevich is. And I just, the understanding the logic of like, yeah, you know, you might want a couple of North South guys. And maybe maybe there's a chance that they can get that out of Brendan Lemieux. But I think maybe to some extent that's a question to, to be raised about 
what sort of player exactly is Brett Howden going to become? Like, what sort of player, you know, how do you replace a guy like Jesper Fast, who is a North-South guy, but you know his, he's leaving, his days are numbered. Chris Kreider, more of a North-South guy than an East-West guy, for sure. His days are numbered, too. Um, is that something this organization's going to think about a lot with, you know, some of the moves they make, especially at the deadline? Are they going to look for prospects who can kind of maybe not be high in the more modern idea of what skill is more towards the, this guy's just going to play an up-tempo game and skate hard. And I always hesitate to feel good about those guys. Cause I feel like those prospects are just easier to find. And you can find a lot of those guys very cheap in free agency around the trade block because the teams do fall in love with them and general managers don't like to give them up. But frankly, you always pay more for high-end skill, Tom. You need to develop your skill players. And role players are not that important in yeah. terms of roster building. And I feel like that's something that the Rangers can accomplish through the draft if they're moving some of these players who they are unable to re-sign. Because, you know, for every pick you get, you get an opportunity. And, you know, look no further than... Someone like Jamie Ben, who, you know, he went all the way down to the fifth round of the 2007 draft, 129th overall. And, you know, he's been a very exceptional player for Dallas, not only offensively, but, you know, that sort of gritty um, north south guy who would be beneficial for a team like the Rangers. So obviously you draft for for skill, which is, I think, something that the you, you know, to sort of bring it back to what we opened the podcast with, whether it would be Sean Day, who was their first pick, um, who's a third rounder in, in 2016, and Ty Ronning, who was a seventh round pick. You know, they were using those um, those picks for trying to get sort of high-end skill. High-end, yeah. Swinging for the fences with those picks. They weren't Leah Sanderson picks. Right. And... It's it's something that they'll they'll have to consider. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of hockey left to play. Uh, we don't know what type of first rounder the Rangers will have, how many additional first rounders they'll get, but it's certainly something that, as you play more and more games, you get a better idea of, you know, what type of player Lemieux can be on this, this roster. What is Howden going to be? And all of those players in between, whether it be, you know, D'Angelo, Fox, you name it, which is ever so important to to understand because the Rangers will get to a point and say, okay, this is what we have. Now here's what we have to go out and get. And this season, it's it's hard to believe. It's we're almost gonna be at the third game mark. And it's the se- way the season started, it was like they yeah. barely played. And now here we are with the games are sort of, you know, adding yeah, up. Yeah, the beginning of this season schedule always kind of screw with me. <laughs> the the gigantic break that it's just like, oh, wow, all right. I guess I guess we're not getting rolling. Um, we did want to touch on uh, the whole craft stuff situation, Tom, but I think we'll save that for off the post just because we're already at the 45-minute mark. So let's read off our lovely, lovely patrons. Uh, Adam Nahoek. Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Amriel Kistner, Andre Chikagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, I can't believe I changed my name for Joe, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Clark, Carol, Craig Lachlan, Dan Carosi, Dana DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elsinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, 
Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, George Littman, Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Keith Franchello, Kyle Napolitano, Matt from Brooklyn, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, those are my boys, uh, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landolt, Stieg Bjolbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Thomas Osa, you have a Tom in there too, Tom, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all so, so much. Uh, our patrons make the show possible, is the bottom line. Uh, we just wouldn't have enough time to do the show otherwise, and we wouldn't uh, you know, be able to set aside money to, to get new equipment. You know, Something I'm looking to do for myself this Christmas is use some of our Patreon money to get actual headphones and not crappy headphones. Um, and, you know, it's it means a lot, the support. And uh, I'm hoping to send out another wave of stickers soon. I actually waited for a little Black Friday deal time, and I got our stickers at, like, a couple of bucks fewer than it would have been, which is nice. So I have another package of 100 stickers that I'm waiting to send out some patrons who are waiting for them and deserve them and should be getting them soon. And... Uh, for the next wave of patrons whenever they may come. So thank you all very, very much for your continued support. Uh, remember to find us on iTunes, leave a nice rating, you know, a nice message maybe. Tell me I'm nice. Tell me you like freckles. I don't know. What do you have to say, Tom? I would say all, all of those things are good. Um, you know, this is as much the listener show as it is ours and if you have suggestions if you have things you'd like to talk about obviously you can always send in uh, hashtag bannering points and it's something that we can address during the mailbag but yeah if you become a patron you have access to you know a private community where you can send messages and comments and all that fun stuff and uh you know it's 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 a good little thing to be a part of and it like mike said it helps the show and you know we we really appreciate all of your support and um it, it does matter a big deal tom what's your favorite breakfast cereal my bre- favorite breakfast cereal that's tough is there um, a non-breakfast cereal where does it always be breakfast cereal what's your favorite cereal my favorite cereal um it's tough it's gotta be a tie between cookie crisp and fruit loops I respect both of those answers. I'm a small child. I'm not eating like Cheerios or Bran Flakes or, you know, wheat germ or anything. When I want to take care of myself, it's Raisin Bran. When I embrace who I actually am, I think it's Honey Smacks or, uh, or like Frosted Mini Wheats. Although, whenever I eat Frosted Mini Wheats, I feel like I just have like a small man living inside my stomach and he, he's running out of room. He, he dug too deep into the Earth's core and it, he had a land, you know, it caved in on him. Anyway, um, I think that's our show for this week, Tom. I think so. And uh, we will catch up with you on uh, Off the Post. Thanks for listening. Bye bye, folks.